All right, welcome back to another episode of the Blasters and Blades podcast. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So uh, without further ado, we're going to let Miss H.P. Hollow, we will call her Hotel Papa from here on out, uh, introduce herself to the audience. And and what do you really want us to call you, just so so we make this easy for everyone? Oh, HP is fine. So they can buy your books because they know your name. Yes, I like it. I can dig well, it. as you said, I am HP Hollow. I write weird and whimsical and mostly feel good fantasy with wizards and sword fighting pugs and monster hunters and all sorts of crazy stuff. Outstanding. So this is being recorded about a month before it airs because we're trying to fill our backlog, dear listener, and. You missed the pre-show where Seska was giggling incessantly like a 12-year-old girl because apparently the Battlestar Galactica rides again in the form of yes. the U.S. Space Force uniform selection. Can yes, you, can you that- pull that on the screen? And I'm going to make you full screen. So that's Battlestar Galactica. And there is, there is Space Force. Yeah, they didn't want me to come back as a door gunner on the spaceship, so... I really wonder if we're going to see a copyright infringement. But anyway, we thought that was hilarious. hilarious And funny. If it's not topical when you listen, we apologize for nothing. I I did apply to Space Force. I would gladly accept. That is one of the few things I would leave Georgia for. A job in Space Force. Well, like I said, I sent him my DD-214. I told him I'd lose weight and come out of retirement if they let me be a door gunner on the space shuttle. I'd let you be a door gunner on the space shell. Yeah, but you wouldn't give me a space shoot first. Wait, you that didn't make that as part of the conditions. Jeez. Woman. All right, let's move on. All right, so the next part of the introduction, I'm sorry, dear listeners. I you did want to be a door gunner. Yes, but they have space suits so they cannot die in the vacuum of space. Until, you know, I don't know, a micrometeor hits it. Handwavium will solve all things. Handwavium only works in the books. I'm sure it'll be okay. JR, then we know how bad you are at counting. Look, all right, I take my shoes off. I can count to 20, no problem. (laughs) All right. So the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we first found them. Uh, I found HP Hollow from Doc. She said, we will be having this person and you will be here and prep the show notes. And I said, aye, aye. Uh, so Doc, how did you first meet her? Was it a bar? Uh, kind of. I was standing in the bar uh, and Heather, uh, HP runs up to me and she goes, you don't know me, but Sharon told me I need a friend request you. So please accept my friend request. And I, went, I remember that actually. I've forgotten that. Okay. Sharon's hardly ever wrong. I mean, you know okay and then you had to go to a panel and i'm just going okay oh look there it is okay i'm sure one of them will explain it to me eventually (laughs) sharon's very short and my mom's very my mom sharon and my mom are of the same size and sharon likes knives more so it's a little scary oh yeah (laughs) you don't mess with sharon you do not watch with the dark mistress of manticore Mm -mm. So, so for the religion question, Doc, I thought we'd go back to our roots. We haven't asked those three in a while, so Ooh. we're gonna see how she how she holds up. Star Wars, Star Trek. 
Uh, your sound went out for a little bit. Can you repeat? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> which would be your Which would be your religion? Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? <sighs> you know, I I think I'm gonna have to say Star Wars just because I've experienced more of it. But I do have to admit that I watched Firefly for the first time just recently, <laughs> like within the past few months, and. I get Firefly a little more. Like I really like the the sort of eclectic space western um, that it is, and I mean, Star Wars has its space western elements too, to a certain extent. But I really enjoy um, just how varied um, Firefly is in its in its worlds, and so I find it fun. Oh, I think my cat's coming to visit. I think Firefly is. is very unapologetic about mm -hmm. its western. It's like, yeah, here it is. If you have a problem with it, there's the TV remote. Yep. So and, if if you could fly with Mal, would you? No, he gets into too much trouble. That's like I love the series, but one of the things that drives me crazy about it is that the the basic premise of the series is okay, we have these two we have these two characters that want to stay hidden and don't want to be caught by the alliance. Let's take on the most dangerous missions we possibly can. <laughs> And, and hope they don't go badly. But, uh, and, and I mean, I do love that misadventure aspect of it, but the logical writer in me is like, why are you doing that? <laughs> I do think it would be fun from an adventure standpoint, but from a logical standpoint, I'm like, no, I'm just going to go find this safe, cool planet. And I think here. there's a lot of uh, backstory that they just didn't. Yeah. Like, like it's one of those where I watch it and I'm, I feel like it had to have been based off of a book. I mean, I know it wasn't, mm -hmm. but it feel it almost has that feel of a, a book of a TV show or a movie that's been right. based off of a book where they just decided for some reason to delete all the backstory. <laughs> yeah. And they're and, like, we're just going to keep all the cool parts without explaining why they're cool. Yeah. And, 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 and they're infinite, horrible wisdom because they're horrible. That's where all good shows go to die. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm still bitter. But uh, they didn't show them in order when they aired them originally, too, mm -hmm. which made it even worse. Yeah. That's an Duh. interesting show, just in terms of its, its airing Files. history and all that. Yeah, they did that with Dresden Files, too, um, on sci-fi. I, I, I don't know. It, it's really annoying when they do that. Um, polytheistic, because we are polytheistic. Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or the Potterverse? I love them all, but I have to say Harry Potter. I grew up with it. It's like I grew up as it released. And it's one of those things where, like, for my generation, it's a defining thing. So I got to say Harry Potter. Right out of the way. <laughs> so unlike you, I'm a little bit older. So when I was a so, kid, Moses so went up the mountain and he came back down and gave us Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Are you sure? Are you sure that was Moses? Sure. In the form I of Tolkien. Born, it was Tolkien. Yeah, but Moses went up there for him. Tolkien was a little tired from World War One. Uh-huh. So he sent Moses. He's yeah. like, hey, Minion, go do my thing. I do Total have to say that Lord of the Rings was pretty huge for me, too. Like, it's... I do like um, Game of Thrones. It, it Like is the wrong word. I, I I feel there's... there's I have feelings about Game of Thrones, and I don't quite know what they are. But Lord of the Rings was another really pivotal... Um, story slash movie slash novel for me as I was growing up, especially in, in high school as it was releasing too. And so, but, but Harry Potter definitely had a longer effect than Lord of the Rings. So they're, they're both up there. Definitely. I but think I there's just, a certain level of 
it just jives with you at the right moment. Mm-hmm. And there is no, I'll have no apologies for it. Just own it. Mm-hmm. And it is, a, it is a beautiful series. I love the original. Have you seen the illustration? I don't think I have actually. Of the novels that have come out? No. So they're, they're going back and they're bringing out the original style kind of covers. Ooh. But they're doing the entire book illustrated like that. Oh, that's, that's so amazing. cool. And they're beautiful. They're absolutely beautifully done. Uh, have, you, have you seen the readaptation they did for Harry Potter, the book one? They had somebody yes. rewrite it in the Scottish brogue for the entire thing. Oh, no, I haven't seen that one. No. I yeah, need Terry to see Nixon that. That's going to be incredible. About it. Because he was talking about trying to get a, a mutual uh, acquaintance of ours to narrate it, because he's an audiobook narrator to do the mm-hmm. whole Scottish accent through the whole book. And now I can't not hear Harry Potter's voice with a uh, with the, the the Southern ac- or with the, the Highland accent, just because it would be <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, that would be amazing. Or a redneck version, I'd totally go down for that one too. I'd go for that too. Yes, <laughs> I think that's just called "Have uh, One of My Neighbors Read It." <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, so All right. The nope, you froze again. So Jessica. since we love both the science, okay. what? Oh, you, you froze again back. for a second there. All right, can you reboot? And I will read uh, that question and while you reboot. Okay, I will. Do All right. That. So sorry about that um, chaos know. behind the scenes, but uh, we're a duct tape production, and sometimes you see the warts. But so we here at the Blasters and Blades love both the fantastical and the scientific. So what was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Mine was easily fantasy. Growing up, I remember really enjoying fairy tales and fairy tale ad- adaptations and all sorts of Arthurian stories. And so definitely fantasy. Oh, okay. Um, do you have a favorite uh, Arthurian story? Not in particular, like modern me, it's it's totally stupid. But modern me really likes King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. <laughs> the, I dig it. The, the one, I think it was Guy Ritchie. Maybe, no, not, was it Guy Ritchie? I cannot remember. Uh, no, John John Favreau, no. But anyway, it's just, it's, it's, I really enjoy over-the-top ridiculous things and that movie is definitely it it's not the classiest adaptation of king arthur and in in some instances i wouldn't really call it that good an adaptation at all but on its own it's a it's a fun it's a fun movie and it's got a great soundtrack is that the one that had the roman theme to it that one had charlie hunnam as arthur in it and um i don't don't think there was a roman theme to it so remember. King Arthur is the, tw- I'm thinking of the 2004 movie and it was, uh, I just pulled up the wiki. It was written by David Franzoni and had uh, Clive Owen as the title character, King Arthur. Oh no, it wasn't that one. This one had, there's a scene in, it's it's specifically King Arthur Legend of the Sword. And there's a scene in it where King Arthur is going up against like every guard in the world and he just swings Excalibur and he one shots everybody because of the magic of this sword. Like it's so stupid, ridiculous. I love it. This is the one that had Kira Knightley as the, uh, I think Guinevere. No, that one was was before this one. This, this one was about, it was, it was pretty recent. I want to say within the past five years, I can't remember specifically how recent it was, but, um, but yeah, it's got Charlie Hunnam it's got the guy who played Littlefinger in Game of Thrones in it as well. And there's it, it had a surprisingly decent cast um, for the kind of movie that it was. Um, okay, that's fair. Yeah. 
So <laughs> I, uh, I I dig the Arthurian legends too. I've uh, I've been known to sneak some of that in some of my writing. Mm-hmm. So what was your first memory of engaging in speculative fiction? Was it um, that, that fantasy, that book that you were talking about reading? Was it, you know, did you watch a TV show? Uh, was it a game? Well, speculative fiction, it's, it's been such a part of my DNA for so long that it's hard for me to pinpoint any one story that really got me into it. Um, the closest thing that I can name, um, and this, this is the book that I point to that really got me into writing too. Um, when I was in the fifth grade, um, uh, my fellow students and I had to read, you know, a certain number of books for a certain number of points per month or whatever. And my teacher had a bookshelf and on this bookshelf, I found the movie novelization of quest for Camelot. If you oh. have not seen this movie, you are not missing anything. It's it's from this period where Warner Brothers tried to rival Disney in terms of making these great, lavish sort of musicals. And it's easily one of the worst animated movies ever made. Um, yes. Worst high budget. It. But but it really, I, I experienced it first through through the novel. And and loved the death out of the movie when I was uh, um, when I was a fifth grader too. But the novel really caught my attention because you know the main character is a girl who wants to be a knight, which is just oh my favorite thing back then. But also the the main character who was sort of the leading man was blind, and I it was something that I hadn't seen in any of the fiction I had read um, at that point, and that just really fascinated me. And then the 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 same character also had like a falcon as his not familiar, but as his animal companion, you know, which is just really cool. And so that just kicked off a whole stream of um, just me wanting to read more of that kind of story and also writing that kind of story. So pretty much everything I wrote in that period is girls who want to be knights and cool hermits with falcon pets. (laughs) (laughs) So when you were little doing that reading, when you were reading uh, in school, did you were they still having that Pizza Hut where every so many books oh, yeah. are free? I credit I a lot of my grown-ups. literacy to pizza. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I read so much for those free personal pan pizzas. I'm telling you. My school never, I don't think we ever did them. You missed out. Or maybe I was just that stubborn. I don't know which. <laughs> I liked to read anyway, but the pizza was definitely a good incentive. And sometimes my mom, my sister, and I extra pizzas in addition to the program pizzas, and it was awesome. My childhood. So was that great. was when they used to have the uh, all you can eat buffet before little uh, CCs and little Caesars and all that were a thing. Mm-hmm. So you'd go in there, and then when the one little tiny pizza they gave you didn't fill you up, they suckered you because you needed to spend more money. Yep. But you thought you were getting a treat because you read the book. So yeah, my mom mm-hmm. did that too. <laughs> yeah. And all the really bad pasta that Doc would turn her nose up at because she's a pasta snob. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh-huh. Are you familiar? This is completely <laughs> off topic, but are you familiar? We do with off topic face- here. <laughs> are you familiar with the Facebook group Italians Mad at Food? No. Because there's no. a really no. fantastic pasta discussion in that group. Like, I'm kind of afraid to post in it because American food culture is really dysfunctional and the Italians will tear it apart. But it's, it's it is a fantastic group. It's one I, of the I best things on Facebook. I the hell out of an Italian soldier I had because he goes, you're Hispanic. You make pasta. What? And I'm like, <laughs> welcome. And I just smiled and looked at him. And went, welcome to America. And he goes, I've lived here my entire life, you weirdo. 
So, yeah, pretty much. So well, which was funny because I had not lived in America my entire life, so I could not say the same. <laughs> this is true, but uh, then you should be eating like falafels and stuff. Uh, which are delicious. Be really by the way. good for me to like a falafel. Otherwise, it's just a glorified hush puppy. You hush your mouth. You're a heathen. <laughs> First, you put pineapple on sacred. Oh, how do you feel about pineapple on your pizza? I love pineapple on pizza, but it has to be with a barbecue sauce base or I'm indifferent to it. You got to get the flavors right. I don't think I've ever had pizza with barbecue sauce instead of tomato Really? Sauce. Really? Oh my gosh. It's so great. You just put barbecue sauce on the pizza and little mozzarella cheese on top and then the pineapple and the savory mixes with the sweet and tart and it's just so good. I love it. So yeah. doc, the next time you're up uh, close to us where we can meet in the middle, we're going to try this barbecue pizza stuff. <laughs> Deal. Actually, that would be at Fantasy. Which was the con where I met HP. Oh, yeah. Oh, you were there for that? Okay. Not this year, but the year before. Oh, okay. Yeah. So back on track with speculative fiction, what is it about the, the wide sort of world that is the genre of spec fic that you love? Ooh, I like this question. The thing that I really enjoy about spec fic, both sci-fi and fantasy, is that it shows us what humanity can be in contrast to what it is at any given like moment in our reality. It's like, because if you look at just the average, like say social media feed or list of headlines, like everything is a hot disaster, but it then, fire. <laughs> yeah. And then, but I can, and so in that way, my fiction becomes a retreat, but also like it, in this fiction, I see characters who are overcoming odds that are worse than what I live in. And it's, it's, it gives me the, the sort of hope for the future kind of stuff. It makes it's it's inspiring. It gives me the idea that um, hold on, I lost my train of thought. Which this will happen. My my train of thought derails quite frequently, um, but um, I kind of need fictional stories to tell us that our real world is worth saving, and I, I do think that fantasy and sci-fi often reflects the good that humanity is capable of um it's one of the reasons it's one of the reasons why i don't enjoy dark sci-fi because it's like i need a future to look forward to and if the future is more of this crap i'm just why why bother you know um so it's like i need humanity to advance (laughs) i don't need dystopias but i I do like i need to know that we will eventually overcome our cluster shit our cluster fucks exactly and get our act together you know like I hopefully we mind. grow out of this teenage angst phase mm-hmm. i don't mind like you- dark as long as there's redemption at the end but when dark right. there's one story i read the law of nine which was a well-written book i'm not like knocking it it just wasn't for me but it was dark it stayed dark and it got darker and i'm like nope mm-hmm. i'm out after the first trilogy yep and some people dig it like i know people that like are fanatical about his work i can't remember mm-hmm. the guy that wrote it but but like for me, I, I want like that chance at redemption. Like it can be dark right, in the beginning right. as long as there's that hope, that flicker of hope that's left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think we kind of need that as a culture. Right. And there's and always makes... gonna be oh go ahead. sorry. I was gonna say that there are always going to be dark corners of any era. Even the most successful era is going to have its its dark points, but it that also gives us something to aspire to, something to to fix and overcome. And then, then you just go on to whatever the next problem is and try to fix that. But it's it's a constant cycle. But I feel like it's important to want to create and build as opposed to just 
giving up and accepting things as they are. And I, mean, I feel like, so, yeah. No, I was just say, I think the, the modern, and it's okay to be as talky. We're all talky here, so it works. Uh, you just got to like, you know, get in your, your words while you can. But like, <laughs> I think story sort of saw, and that's where the speculative fiction for me comes in. Before we had written word, we still told stories around campfires to entertain mm-hmm. ourselves. We had legends about sky gods and, and whatnot, because we were trying to make sense of the world through the fantastical. And I think mm-hmm. as we've learned more, some in some ways we've learned less, and that's where stories come in to save us from ourselves to a point mm-hmm. and, and, and revisit that sense of wonder. And I was having that discussion with a friend the other day. There was some mystery. They were like, we might finally solve it. I'm like, no, you know, it's kind of cool to have things we just don't know. Yeah. I'd almost don't want them to invent a, a, a dive thing that can go to the bottom of like Loch Ness. I want to think that Nessie <laughs> could be down there. I don't want to know definitively that she's gone. Right. Like I like that sense of wonder that you can get. Mm-hmm. And, and as they, we, we fill in more dark of the, the blank canvas that is reality. Oh yeah. Like we need yeah. that fiction to step in and say, look, there's this thing you can maybe do. Mm-hmm. You look like you're going to say something, Doc? Uh, I was going to say humanity always does better with a challenge. Oh yeah. Yeah. And um, it's part of ingrained in our psyche kind of, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but how does your love of everything here transition into your writing? Do we see the same themes? Ooh, stealing my questions already after you just got back. <laughs> yeah, baby. By, by define everything here. Uh, everything that we talked about with why you love speculative fiction. Well, I, I generally do try to write optimistic fiction. Um, first of all, just because I'm a very optimistic person, sometimes to a fault. And so I just, I don't do grim dark at all. Because even if I try to write something dark, it ends up becoming absurd and funny. And so I just naturally lean toward that. Um, however, I do, they're in... Less so in in Monster Punk Horizon, my upcoming novel, but The Wizard's Way, my first novel, um, it is a very optimistic novel, but it does have its dark corners. And I really, I, I do like to balance those things. Like, I do like to acknowledge that, yeah, there's there are dark corners even in, in this fictional universe, but the characters, they, they fight to overcome them and they do overcome them um, with varying levels of actual success. But, but yeah. It's it's not it's not saccharine optimism because I do think that to to a, to a certain extent aimless and just relentless optimism can be toxic in a certain kind of way. Um, if it's realistic that, optimism, though, if that makes sense, that's then. that's what uh, what they went for. If you did, you ever see Demolition Man? Like that was like I did, but it's been years. That that um, where the the you know we want to just be good for everybody became toxic because mm-hmm. now everything's outlawed because it might be bad for you. Yeah, like uh, it's a perfect illustration of what you're talking about. Too much positivity. I think can it's be bad. Jr.'s favorite movie. <laughs> it is not, but I I, do I think, need to see it again. I do think it was a good one. It's my one of favorite, those that's been on my list. Jr., that, you that, reference Demolition Man at least once a month. I do not. <laughs> Yes, but they do have that do. funny scene where when he's eating the burger and he's like, oh, that's a good hamburger. Do you see any cows around? He's eating a rat. I thought that was hilarious. Ah! <laughs> I mean, but I've known enough soldiers. He's like, meh, okay, I'm going to keep eating. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that, oh. that resonated with me. So many authors let, the, I'm going to steal my question back. I see what you're trying to do, Doc. So many authors let their real life uh, experiences influence the stories they tell. So are there any specific formidable moments that shaped you as a storyteller? Mm. I wouldn't say there are any really specific ones, um, but I will say that the, the closest I've come is that um, as I was coming up through school, 
Um, I had a series of teachers who, whenever they taught us about a new idea, would would give us the information and be like, form an opinion about it. And so being, you know, young, confident kids who'd be like, oh, this is our opinion and we're sticking to it. We know what we're talking about. And then the teacher would drop this brand new bomb of information, just a little nugget, a, a new piece of information about this same situation that would completely that would completely change our perception of it and cause us to have to rethink it. And, and I don't think my teachers actually like got together and engineered their classes that way. It just kind of happened. But as a result, the, the consistency of it basically programmed my mind to approach every topic with an, Oh, everything is multifaceted um, kind of, kind of approach. And so as a result, a lot of my writing likes to take a problem and present it from from multiple points of view um, or, or not necessarily multiple points of view but presented in multiple ways and present the fact that sometimes the solution to a problem is is not the perfect solution that you want for example in monster punk horizon or in the series in general um the characters will will solve an environmental problem but find out that oh my gosh the solution that they had might have fixed this problem but it caused another one and um in the Wizard's Way series, especially, um, the main character, I'm, I'm working on the uh, the sequel, The Wizard Circus, on and off um, between monster punk things. And um, the main character struggles with something like that in the sequel because, um, avoiding spoilers as much as I can, at the end of the first book, he does something pivotal that ends up, you know, have they win and everything is hunky-dory. Yay! Um but and he but it ends up not being interpreted that way to the people who were not present to watch the climax happen and so the result is that um, the main character in book two he chaucy knows that he did the best thing he possibly could with the situation he was in and with the information that he had available to him and ultimately accomplished what he was trying to accomplish but the result is that to outsiders, he looks like a terrorist because of the collateral damage of what happened as a result. And so it's it's the sort of he, he's trying to deal with how people perceive him um, because he didn't do the bad guy thing. But people think he's the bad guy. And um, and so there's just that kind of complicated. Well, what what else could he have done in that situation? Was there was there a, a fully happy solution? Um, and he comes to the conclusion that there really wasn't, that he, he did what he did what he had to do in the moment. And so I, I really like that juxtaposition of, uh, of bad option versus worse option and having and, and forcing the reader to explore that. So that's a long answer, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh. Talking about fandom stuff. Have you had any cool art or a cosplay? I have actually. I haven't had any cosplay show up yet, but occasionally I will get little fan art messages from readers. And it's just so cool because I'm such a little author. And it's 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 really fascinating that anyone would want to draw fan art in my universe. But um one actually, um, I completely forget her name. And when I went to look up her the, the thread, I couldn't find it. So I think she's no longer on Facebook or whatever, but she sent me a variety of pictures she'd done. And 
and then told me that she and one of her friends had actually created characters inside the universe of the Wizard's Way. And like one of them was a little wizard actress. And I can't remember. I think the other one was an inventor. But it was just so cool that, awesome. that someone enjoyed my world enough to do that. Um, and then there was another time I went to I went to an event at my local library where they had me and two other authors as guests. And they had a little art wall um, where um, where teens could put like quotes from books that they liked or, or little pictures they drawn on post-it notes and whatnot on that wall. And I'm looking at the wall and I see quotes from my book. And I see like Chaucy with his little flying machine wings. He has, he's, he builds flying machines in the wizard's way. And, um, and it was just, it, it's cool to see that like my, my work inspired someone to do little sketches. It was cool. That's awesome. I think anything that inspires somebody to challenge themselves with it, particularly mm -hmm. like fine motor tasks, like drawing. I, I'm always impressed by drawing because I, I can draw chemical structures. Mm-hmm. And I can draw chemical structures. <laughs> and that's about it. So I think it's awesome. Um, but has anybody asked for your uh, autograph away from a convention or a book signing? Not my autograph, but, and this this actually happened at a convention, so it's kind of a bending of the question. But I actually that's had, okay. I had a reader ask for my cat's autograph in a book once because my, my cat Nova, she has a little fandom um, online because she's adorable and she deserves it. Um, but at, <laughs> at one point we actually, um, Jacob and I, Jacob being my author husband, um, we had a um, Royal Manticoran Navy game night at our house. So just a whole huge chunk of the Royal Manticoran Navy fan club was at our house hanging out. And Nova, Nova is a social cat and she got to know everybody. And the um, the the person who asked for the the signed book had been at that party, and he had been one of Nova's favorites, and uh, and and so and I had I lucked out because I had there was this one sticker company that was offering like a get your selfie on a die cut sticker um, kind of promotion, and I just went for it because it was so stupid. I loved it, and I had me making a stupid face, and then I had one made of Nova. And I luckily had the Nova stickers on me at that con. And so I drew a little paw print in the book I was signing and then put a little Nova sticker on it. And it worked out perfectly. Oh, <laughs> so, that's awesome. So yeah, Nova, Nova is not internet famous, but mildly famous amongst a few of my readers. <laughs> she is so, an adorable cat. So she is. So, she's here somewhere, but I think she's gone to hide. So what uh, what ship in the, uh, the whole Manticore fleet are you in? I have forgotten because I was on the Saladin, but I moved to another one and I forget which one I moved to. I think they, they had to split the Saladin because it got too big or something, but I, my, I have my membership card in my wallet somewhere, but I don't actually know. I, I know that right I'm now. on the Saladin only because Angie just emailed me going, <laughs> I know you finished some books. So when are you going to turn them in for the reading competition? Uh, <laughs> I actually need to do that myself. I haven't done, I haven't done that at all. I probably missed the deadline. No, no, it's not yet because she always emails okay. me. I spend like an hour Good. trying to remember every book that I've read in the last six mm -hmm. months. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's a disturbingly large amount of audiobooks <laughs> for me. Uh, so, but um, so what is your funniest fan interaction since you started writing? Like, what time? Oh, I have to. Well, your cat's autograph. 
I actually, well, uh, other than that one, I actually got to meet the first person who was sending me fan art. And the two of us were so excited to actually see each other in person that we were just, we just kind of, we stood there incoherently, just kind of jabbering at each other at the con table for like a few minutes. And it's just like, cause she was excited to meet one of her favorite authors. And I was excited that an actual fan had come up to say, Hey, and was excited to see me. And, and so it was just, it was a really cute interaction. But then there's also the time I accidentally punched one of my fans. And luckily, luckily he was someone that I knew already, like a, a friend before he was a fan. But I was I was talking about I was talking about something at a convention. And I, I, when I talk, I flail if I get really excited. And my fist just happened to shoot out in the right way. And it was the fist that my wedding ring was on. This this dangerous looking thing and I punched him in the lip and drew blood and and, and apologized profusely and you know I well, haven't some it made for a funny story and go to war with certain aspects of their fandom over issues but this <laughs> may be the first one that actually resulted in first blood mm -hmm. yeah and I I felt so bad because I mean I I didn't intend to punch him much less draw actual blood I mean it makes for a great story but yeah I whenever I whenever I'm at cons now I'm always really hyper vigilant to not move my arms around <laughs> so so this means that. if you ever dictated your books you'd be extremely dangerous yeah probably. only the Nova yeah well I don't know Nova Nova would she'd run and hide she's she's agile she can miss she can be missed <laughs> She's got an 18 dexterity. It's okay. Yep. Oh, yeah. Your nerd is showing, Doc. Uh, you know what? We're going to be talking lit RPG. That's a good time for my nerd to be showing yeah. all out. Mm -hmm. See? I've been hanging out with lit RPG authors. I know things. Yes. Probably not the things I should. <laughs> um, so... Can you give us the highlight reel of what you've written about before we dig deep into your new lit RPG series? All right, sure. Let me turn my page. I have notes because I <laughs> I need, let's see here. Yeah, I, I get nervous about talking without notes. And so I always, I have a notebook over here and it's fallen. You know what? That's much better. We once had a guest come on and he was like, I need to have the notes. I want to have the show notes. And then he, <laughs> he, he never even looked at them before no. the show. And I'm like, why did I you love having shows beforehand. All right. So, um, what was the question again? What, what is your highlight? Oh, okay. Well, um, my my first book was The Wizard's Way, which is young adult steampunk fantasy about wizards and talking bears and sword fighting pugs and craziness. Um, my next series is called Monster Punk Horizon, which is the one we're going to be talking about today. So hey. that's all I've got out right now. So, Spoiler. Um, yeah, so Monster Punk Horizon is, um, it's game lit. It's a fantasy comedy adventure about monster hunters hunting monsters. That's the, the tiny, the short version. Well, since uh, you spilled the beans while the other one sounds Oh, was I not well, supposed to? Oh, no, that's okay. okay. No, he's, okay. Giving, he, he's, just wor he's just bummed, but he can still ask about his psychedelics. So... <laughs> Uh, the first, we're looking at the Monster Punk Horizon, a monster hunting game lit adventure. So the first book is obviously titled Monster Punk Horizons. And the series is Monster Punk Horizons. I'm noticing a theme. 
So where did you get the premise for this universe? How did you come up with the ideas? Was it psychedelics, Ouija board, uh, overindulging <laughs> in uh, overly sugary sweet tea from the South? <laughs> well, I was actually, well, most of my book ideas come down to really over-caffeinated coffee. Let's be real. Um, this particular one, that is though, the way. Um, See, I love I, it. I happened to be looking through some of my old, old writing from when I first really got into it. And my writing is almost always influenced by whatever else I'm consuming at the time. So TV, books, movies, etc. And in that particular period, Pokemon and Digimon and all monster collecting things were, were first becoming a thing. And so all of my um, all of my writing was very obvious. Oh, oh my gosh, I have one of those sitting on my desk right now. I still got to open it. And then, oh my gosh, where'd it go? I've got I don't know where it went. I've got like a whole booster box of the new of the new release that I haven't even opened yet. I keep saving it. Mm. But yeah, yeah, I I just got back into Pokemon card collecting after not doing it for fifteen years. And oh my gosh, that's a whole other story. Anyway. So I start looking through all this stuff and it's this weird combination of monster collecting and dark epic fantasy and, and sci-fi and every other anime I was watching at the time. Like this is the Toonami generation too. So there's lots of Tenchi Muyo and Gundam Wing and monsters with mechas and all sorts of craziness going on. And the writing frankly was traumatic to read because obviously I've improved quite a bit and I was 12 writing back then but there was a there was a certain unbridled enthusiasm and weirdness to it that just was completely unselfconscious about how weird it was and didn't care and it was it was absolutely fun to go back and read that and then it occurred to me as I was thinking on it that I'm still into those franchises like I've got a whole bunch of Pokemon and Digimon toys literally sitting right above my head on my bookshelf right now and on top of that um, even though I didn't interact with those friends or hadn't interacted with, oh, I love it. I'm getting all excited now. When we're together, can you tell? Ah, yes, we are. We, we got vibes going. I'm pointing the wrong way. Okay. Anyway, I forgot what I was saying again. Okay. Any, even though I hadn't interacted with Pokemon and Digimon and Monster Rancher and all of, I, I like the whole gamut for for about 15 years. Um, I was still very much into monster franchises um, because my husband and I basically spent all our evenings at that time um, playing co-op in Monster Hunter World. And I just, those, those, that particular subset of Japanese entertainment has just brought a whole bunch of delight to my life. And I, it, the idea began to percolate, like, why not write a series that that is sort of in that spirit that is a loving homage to all those things that I love um, about those. And, um, and at the time I was not finding a whole lot of monster hunting lit oh. RPG. Um, and, and so I was like, you know what, there's a gap in the market. I'm going to write it and see what happens. And that's how it started. Awesome. Oh, I like the lit RPG. I, I have, found that there are some that I particularly care for a lot but mm -hmm. and it's also just populated with a bunch of really fun authors oh yeah like one I've I didn't really get into like I actually started writing Monster Punk Horizon uh, before I even really understood what lit RPG fully was I think I had read maybe one lit RPG novel like I knew that lit RPG was oh. obviously video game based literature um but um 
I hadn't read that many at all. And I, I, I got deeper into it, of course, as I started writing it. Um, and to a, to a certain extent, I when I was writing the initial draft of Monster Punk Horizon, oh. I avoided um, other lit RPG because I didn't want to end up inadvertently copying some of the stuff that I yeah. read. Um, and but now that there are three books done, I mean it's it's like I'll read all the all the lit RPG I want. But all this to say, um, I started lurking in lit RPG communities, and they are some of the most fun communities, some of those fun book communities online. Oh. Like the level of enthusiasm that they have for what they read is is insane and infectious. And I just I love lurking on oh. those groups. Oh yeah, they can be very 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 fun, and um, and they're very. Did you use Excel sheets? No, I did not. There's actually um, one thing. Dakota that separates... Crowd has like an entire Excel workbook. <laughs> and don't ask because he will probably show you all the details. <laughs> yeah, I got no Excel sheets. I just barely have outlines and there's still yeah. outlines. You're probably more along like the lines of the J Boyce. Which is amazing, but she's very. Mm -hmm. like, I need to read her. She is. She's at the top of my list, and I just I love the front cover for Lotus Lake, and oh, the, the little the little unicorn rabbit. Like, oh yeah, I, no, yeah. It's a. I, I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. About I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, you ladies need yeah. a moment. I mean, we could come back to the interview in a little bit if you if you want. <laughs> I think JR is trying to tell us something, but I'm not paying attention. It, it's uh, okay. I was laughing at you. Or no, excuse me. I was laughing with you because I'm a bigger person. So, but yeah, like, J, like I joke that there's like the J's and then there's the Dakota Krauss. Mm -hmm. And Dakota's got like entire Excel work. Oh, yeah. So yep. I actually, a friend of the show that was a sponsor for a while before life got in the way, uh, went to school for game design and she's read a couple of them. And she's like, that game system wouldn't work. The engine is broke. The math doesn't work. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> Okay, because we interviewed. Me at all. We, but, we interviewed. But it all uh, depends on who you read in there, because Dakota Some definitely put a ton of work into their systems. Like fucking Excel workbooks, dude. Oh yeah, I didn't know there was that much like. Oh no no no! Video game construction. I thought you just go in and you stab things and shoot things and. Jay doesn't put the heavy mechanics in, but she understands the heavy mechanics mm -hmm. and she is not afraid to email and let RPG out there and be like, by the way, you messed up here. Cause she will do so, that. Speaking of lit RPG, what is it that drew you to game lit specifically? Well, game lit, I, this is something I actually discovered after I just started getting to lit, into lit RPG in general. There's as far as the community goes, there is a slight difference between game lit and lit RPG. Lit RPG is the really, really stat-heavy stuff, whereas Game Lit is the lighter, um, well, not lighter, but there's there's just less stats in it and less, from, less mechanics. Yeah, yeah. There's there's more focus on the story and the characters and the world more so than the actual numbers of it. And I knew that Game Lit was for me in terms of writing because I hate numbers. And I'm not going to write stats. Like yeah, my husband um, will come up with stats all day long, but I am the English major half of this pair, and I don't care about numbers. Every time they come up in a lit RPG book, I I like I either fast forward through them on the audiobook or I just skip over them when I read. So I figured if I skip over them when I'm reading, I'm just not going to put them in my book. <laughs> fair. It's just so efficient that way. Um, Queen's the Gambit is a game lit. It is a game lit type TV show. Mm -hmm. For those who are listening and are like, what on earth is she talking about the difference? And they, so that would be one. And then 
lit RPG would be more like if you turned your EverQuest campaign in complete with that sheets into a book. So do you consider um, game lit the category oh. to be more of the fantasy or more of a sci-fi or somehow a merger of the two? Well, you know, I I don't think it's really restricted to game lit. I do think, and I guess, I, I, well, I guess I'm going to use game lit as a shorthand for the whole genre, um, but it's definitely fantasy dominated, but you are seeing a, a, a bit more sci-fi begin to show up. And I've noticed that on the Lit RPG Facebook groups where a lot of readers and authors are active together, there are a lot more people asking for more sci-fi. And, um, and I so I, I think it's one of those things where it's, it's both, you look but at, it definitely um, leans one way. Like Iron Prince by um, mm -hmm. Bryce uh, O'Connor and Luke Mecklow, as well as mm -hmm. Luke Mecklow's Ascend series and R.R. Verity's um they're oh and even uh james hunters they're definitely more sci-fi i think it has to oh, be yeah. like the world implementation mechanic if that makes sense mm -hmm. like and the one that comes to mind for me i'm i'm actually currently working on space seasons the space season series okay. by uh, don chapman one. and um, it's good I, th I think the first one is called winter harvest um, like but yeah that's that's a definite sci-fi chris one john's extra it is very um fantasy uh, Kong's the land, the founding, very mm -hmm. fantasy because the the mechanic mainly for them getting into this alternate world seems to be more um, fantasy based. Mm -hmm. So that's their magic did it. The fae did it. For some that I've read, like there's there's a sci-fi element to how some people get into their worlds. For example, if someone is if if the person is being transported into a literal video game, usually there's some kind of mechanic. Like I was wearing a VR helmet and something went wrong. But yeah, that's came from Tron. I and, was wearing yeah, a VR helmet exactly. and the entire world destroyed itself. Yeah, yeah, and and so so they may start out with a sci-fi facade, but they end up being ultimately fantasy in the way they're executed. <laughs> So um, let's actually talk about your cover. Okay. Because it is an amazing cover. I really <laughs> love it. Ah, all right. Well, I have, oops. Okay, there we go. The screen was going crazy. <laughs> I was like, what's happening? Okay, well, my cover, um, there's there's a funny story behind it. And in other, I, I noticed on other Facebook groups, other reader Facebook groups that I'm on, if you put, if, if a book shows up with even a moderately attractive boob on it, people talk about it. And it's usually in the context of women complaining about it. But the thing about that, if, even complaining in the terms, in, in the context of Facebook algorithms, it's engagement. It, and it, it's like it's, all attention is good attention type thing. Yeah, like, it's 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 like it's kind I, of a if we try and, and train our children. Yeah, and so I and I and you know I found so many good books from people complaining about TNA covers that I was like that Jacob actually when I started writing this book he jokingly suggested you know what we should just put hot girls on the cover and I was like yeah because people are gonna yell about it and give it attention and whatnot. And so we ended up with, uh, and I, I think the, the the covers do get sexier as it goes on. I didn't I didn't write them as sexy characters, but by by the nature of being girls in a video game ish setting, they're just kind of going to be like that. But yeah, it was it I it was totally a well, marketing decision. <laughs> I gotta admit, what I love having seen this and the second one, I love the redheads 
facial expressions. Oh yeah. Those yeah, the- really, particularly on the second cover, really sell me. And I'm like, I need to be her. I'm pretty oh, yes. sure I am her. So I need to watch this. <laughs> yes. Those those two are just they're such fun characters to write precisely because of the differences between their character types like that. Yeah, because she generally has this look, it seems like, of looking at her other friend and going, Oh my god, what the hell are you doing now? You wanna know the really hilarious thing about it is that um when I first commissioned this cover art, the, the artist, by the way, is Jackson Shota, who he actually did the front cover for or he's he's done the front covers for the Sky Realm series by Troy Oz good which is how i discovered him in the first place because the every single time i would look on bestseller lists my eyes would automatically go to the first sky realms book because it has such a great cover and i was like i want that artist i don't care who they are or how expensive they are i'm going for it and and i (laughs) i sent him the um i sent him some sample artwork and the sample artwork that i sent him was literally my monster hunter world character and jacob's monster hunter world character and i basically said draw this but with less copyright infringement and (laughs) (laughs) and and i will admit gamelet authors i've noticed tend to be very savvy about making sure they're on the copyright infringement oh yeah and and the thing i I was especially careful whenever i first designed um the world of the series like the the very first thing i did before i started plotting anything was to determine what would make this world separate or what would make this world distinct from the monster hunter universe specifically because that's where that's where a lot of the inspiration for this particular chunk of the series comes from but i def i wanted people to i i didn't want people to be able to look at it and say oh this is just monster hunter fan fiction it's it's definitely its own world and i put a lot of effort into making it its own distinct world um precisely for that reason also because i don't want capcom to sue me because they're capcom and i'm little yeah i love them (laughs) but i I will say this i would love to see somebody cosplaying one of these characters oh i I could totally see the brunette at dragon con Oh yeah, me too. So, so I flipped to the um, the header image you have on your website, so you could see the facial expression you were talking about, uh-huh. and it's a higher resolution, so you can get a better detail for the parts we show. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that the redhead's expression was sold the book. So. Yep, and I didn't, you know, I when I first started writing the novel, I didn't necessarily intended this way like my my characters are very much characters who kind of write themselves um as i go and it's just i just kind of let them do what they want on the page as long as it makes for an interesting plot um but it ended up being that um that these two characters were were basically in story versions of me and jacob so J- so my character is jazz the one in red and jacob's ah, is ah, is ah, picks ah, the one in blue and it's oh. it's a pretty it's it's a pretty good example of how the two of us interact in game because I usually well, then I must say Jacob's kind of cute. And... <laughs> I shall relay that to him. Oh, uh, the even funnier thing is that we actually the two of us didn't start playing Monster Hunter at the same time. He actually started about a year before me, and then I just saw him play it so much that I wanted to. He actually based his character's appearance on what I looked like at the time. I had bright red hair at the time. And so there's like two different versions of me inside the game and inside the series. It is, it's a weird and complicated relationship, but the, <laughs> but yeah, the, the two characters are basically just mine and Jacob's gameplay styles. There's literally a video that we have of, of, of gameplay where Jacob's character is off doing the fighting and my character is literally running across the screen on fire 
with her little palico chasing her and trying to give her healing wasps. It's yeah, it's I'm always the one who's on fire. There's so a as reason long as why there's sweet tea, it all ends, it all ends well. As long as you got your you nice can, table wine, you can see why we get along, right, Jr. <laughs> I definitely see it, but uh, let's let's try to get back to selling her book instead of the video games that she doesn't make money off of. So, what would your thirty second elevator pitch for Monster Hunter Monster Punk Horizon be? If I could oversimplify it, it's basically hot girls hunting monsters and doing stupid stuff. It's <laughs> that's pretty much it. They basically a monster shows up and they have to try to kill it while not dying in the process. And the, the series, the entire series is is basically that. It's like, oh my gosh, there's a monster. Oh my gosh, we have to go kill it. Oh my gosh, we might need better armor to go kill it. But the the charm of it is really I I wrote simple plot lines precisely so I could really indulge in the character building and the world itself and the, the world itself and the characters are all insane but but yeah it's, it's ultimately let's hunt some monsters and make stuff from their skin sure because <laughs> that's what you do with monsters you make oh, oh, yeah. armor and you wear their ears wait what so, you touched <laughs> a bit on the fact when talking about building the series and getting into the game lit that it, what makes it special is it, there wasn't any that was an homage to Monster Hunter. But is there anything mm -hmm. else that really defines it and makes it its own unique creature? Well, uh, <laughs> I think the, the attitude with which I went into it um, is one of the things that makes it unique. Because I, not to disparage it, but I feel like a lot of game lit is just someone being like, oh, I like video games. I will write inside a video game and this will happen. Whereas um, whenever I constructed Monster Punk Horizon, I, I deliberately wanted it to be a loving homage um, to these various franchises that I've enjoyed. And while the stories very much stand on their own as, as, inter as entertaining standalones, um, they're definitely more enjoyable for people who who are familiar with, say, Monster Hunter and eventually who are familiar with with Pokemon and other franchises. Um, I've hidden some little Easter eggs in there that um, are sort of deep cuts for people who are huge fans of those series. Yeah, and so it's it's very much like it's it's its own world, but it's got some stuff for, um, shall we say, the completionists to find. Yeah. So. So, yeah. That is awesome because, I, I mean, you're right. And if it, if you really love not just the game, but the culture around the game, mm -hmm. then it, I think it carries over into the book. That's for sure. And that's, that's one of the things that I love about gaming in general. Like a lot of uh, people who don't play video games very frequently don't really realize it. But there is a distinct culture um, and a distinct fandom that has grown up from gaming. And, oh, yeah. um, and, and you can... You can all I can easily tell on my Facebook news feed who knows a gamer and who doesn't because the ones who don't know gamers are like, oh, video games cause violence. And the ones who do know gamers are sharing memes about how like just they're answering with memes about how, um, for example, a I, one of my favorite stories actually was there was a kid playing with another kid online and kid number two started having a seizure and kid number one playing across the world, somehow managed to figure out where this kid was located geographically and like called, uh, called paramedics to, to go rescue him. And his own parents didn't even realize that he was in that kind of trouble. Um, 
And it's just, that was just an amazing thing that happened because of gaming. And then there's also stuff where people who haven't even met each other in real life will come together to, to support someone. And then there's just like stupid in-game stuff that, that people will do just to, um, it's it just to support each other as a positive part of the gaming community. There's certainly some, there's certainly some really bad parts of the gaming community, but the thoroughly wholesome things that happen too are, are things that non-gamers aren't really aware of. So, no, I, I definitely. But, but agree. this is important. Hold on, this is important, Doc. Did anybody take an arrow to the knee in this book? You know what? No. I I should probably oh, that somebody might win the next one. <laughs> yeah, someone someone's gonna have to at some point. So Jr. wants to see how many people can oh. have simulated war runes that he experienced. I think. <laughs> so, are there any tropes that you feel you really oh. had fun playing with, or that this hits best? Well, I didn't intentionally insert any tropes, um, though I will say that um, my there's definitely the the two characters are definitely the um, the sort of inexperienced goofy hunters. Um, one of them is the inexperienced hunter who happens to become a very overpowered hunter really fast because she just literally happens upon a super powerful um, gem in the wilderness. Um, so there's that. Um, but um, in terms of tropes, like I. I know they're there, but I can't think of the specific names off the top of my head. <laughs> That's okay. We don't really <laughs> name them. But I love seeing how tropes get used sometimes. And um, and I also love the word tropalicious. They are <laughs> arguing with me that it's not a word. So, But it appeared in the Dragon Con programming book, so it had to be a word, right? Yes. Because, you I know, mean, dragon doesn't make anything up. <laughs> no, you know. I, I may know the all person 42 who put it people in the Dragon Con programming book, but that may I'm just me. saying all 42 people that attended last year. I love you and your bad math. JR <laughs> doesn't understand scientific notation. He just thinks like, he goes, oh, 42, and he misses the times 10 to the whatever power. Yeah, uh, that could be bad. It's the, secret, it's the secret of the universe. <laughs> Uh, uh, you're adorable so um what kind of subgenres do you feel why do you always like making me ask about subgenres <laughs> that the story fits into best well other than other than gamelet it's definitely an action fantasy it's uh some of my early reviewers have called it a sugar rush it's very fast-paced um definitely action fantasy there's a whole lot of comedy in it um in it as well and um, not in this series exactly. I, I actually, I've if it sells well, I have uh, I've I've planned other series. And when uh, characters go to this other part of the setting, it does have um, so, sort of a steampunkish vibe. Um, and the general technology level is is like Victorian steampunkish, um, with the exception of the magical elements that change things around. Um, wait, wait, wait! You mean they didn't have magic in Victorian England? <laughs> Color me shocked. <laughs> JR, next thing you know, you'll you might actually have to use your history degree. Yes. I mean, for other than cleaning the toilet. You hush. <laughs> I was a sanitation sure engineer. Thank it. you very much. It just wasn't a janitor, it was an engineer. Uh-huh. You weren't really an engineer. I know which school you went to. All right. So now the story <laughs> itself. 
while she thinks of more berating things to say, what can you tell us about your main character? Or is it both of the main characters? Is it it's it's both of them. They they work as a unit. And basically, Pix and Jazz are um, two recent college graduates and, and, and roommates who they basically have a ton of college loans to pay off and decide that the best way to do it is to go kill some monsters. And so um, basically, they figure that it's it's fun and if they die while doing it that takes care of their loan problem and with, with some exceptions but in terms of the, the two characters themselves um jazz herself the red one is just really gung-ho and hyperactive and reckless is probably not a good word but pix definitely thinks it's a good word and pix um contrasts jazz and that she's the planner she's the one who likes to take things slowly and take a step back and look at how they can logically fix a problem whereas jazz is just like i have a big sword and i'm gonna solve problems with that i mean i i can relate to that yep so um <laughs> Is this book out in audio? Because I might have to check it out now. It will be out in audio. Um, Tess Irondale is the narrator I've hired to do it. And I th I think she is she's in the process of finishing up the first one. And she started recording the second one this week. Um, and she'll be doing all three of them for me. Awesome. Nice. I so look forward to this in audiobook because then I can make JR listen to it. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. I've heard the first 15 minutes and she just completely nails the characters. So it's awesome. it's going to be great. Outstanding. So were there any secondary characters that were extremely memorable to you? Oh, yes. My my secondary characters are often some of my most irritating ones to write. Because when, when I write outlines, I only ever include the main characters. What, what I do when I outline is I do very skeletal outlines where I basically say, okay, here's a scene. Here's the essential thing that has to happen in the scene to push the story along. And everything else is just icing on the cake. And so most of the time when I create minor characters, it's because I need some some little background person to push a scene along or provide colorful commentary or something like that. Uh, well, in book one, I actually had two um, two minor characters that I loved writing so much. They actually joined the party in subsequent books. Um, I have one who is described as a half orc, half fey barbarian who looks like he is fueled by exasperation and caffeine. And uh, my favorite thing about him is that his name is Kilvester, a combination of Silve Sylvester, Sylvan, and Kill, because it seemed like a perfect way to write a fairy orc character. And he's, he's half fae, half orc, because I just like to kind of throw in everything in the kitchen sink and see what works. Um, but he's... <laughs> and this particular character, too, like, I when I was picturing him... I we had just finished watching something with with Adam Driver in it and Adam Driver makes these really really great disappointed exasperated faces and I'm just like you know what this character is going to be Adam Driver but a hot orc and so and and he ended up being another character who he he's another voice of reason for the party. He doesn't show he, he shows up a little bit in Monster Punk Horizon, but he he doesn't become truly significant until um I want to say book 3 where he shows up again. And a fun fact about book 3, Jacob actually wrote most of that one. Um and and had fun with those characters. But then uh, but then there's another character that I had really only intended him to appear in a single scene and just make one observation. And this particular character is this humanoid bat who 
just his his armor is jeans and a metal band t-shirt and his characteristic is that he he drops f-bombs like crazy but he's actually this really cuddly wholesome guy who is just kind of terrifying on the outside because he has you know the face of a vampire bat and his name is Dwayne, and he um he <laughs> he ended up he, he's he's such a fun set of contrasts that um, he ended up just kind of working his way into the story in ways that I didn't really expect him to. And he just kind of stayed there. <laughs> and so he took on a life of his own. He and Kilvester took on lives of their own. And now they're in the main cast. <laughs> so I will say that, that now I think Kilvester might be a sergeant because exasperated and, and all that sounds like most sergeants I know, especially probably Doc Sergeant. Probably <laughs> had that expression. So, does your story have any bad guys for the main characters confront, or is it oh, just yeah, the, the environment and all the monsters? The uh, well, the each book centers around a specific monster, and there's there's sort of a series big bad called the Screecher, which it literally falls from the sky in ch at the end of chapter one of the first book, and the entire issue in book one is figuring out how to kill this thing because it's huge and it's eating everything. And if they don't handle it, it's going to destroy the entire ecosystem. And so it's, and he, he, uh, I don't, I don't want to give away too many spoilers because no, it's, we don't it's, want spoilers. Yeah. We want them to buy but, but yeah, the, the screecher is definitely the, the baddie. Fair. <laughs> okay. Do I get to ask this one, Jer? Sure. You like this one? Go for I it. I do love this question. So if your characters found you in a back alley and they knew who you <laughs> were, how would you fare? Oh my gosh. Well, if we're sticking with characters from this series, Jazz actually would not care. She's like, bring it on. More adventure. Let's do it. Um, the other characters, depending upon the character, most of my other characters are kind of chill. And they... I think the, I think the meeting would somehow end in like them manipulating me into just writing a story where they all just have a good day. <laughs> it would be a very harmless meeting. At least that, I hope that it would is be. probably the nicest greeting that any author has ever said. Yeah, all of them have looked rather afraid. Most of most of my main characters are kind of like they're they're a weird combination of of chill and really extra like. And it's that they're some of them are very understated. Like they have really, really dry senses of humor, with the exception of some of the actual bad guys, say in uh, in in the Wizards' Way, who are like actual sociopaths. But um, but yeah, most of my main characters well, like it's they, important for children to learn to recognize them quickly. <laughs> so you you mean, mentioned children, and we'll we'll do a quick little ad hoc question here. But so, what would the age range be? where you would say, okay, if they're this old, we can let, because this does sound like the kind of thing that would appeal to some, some younger audience. So what would it be the bottom like, age? I'm looking at the cover and I can think of like every like <laughs> male, like 10 years old. And up. <laughs> well, I would say content wise, I mean, there are some F-bombs in it. So that's, that's going to be, it's any kid that can encounter F-bombs would probably be okay with it. But um, I, if I'm, if I'm going to target a specific age range, I would want to say, um, Maybe 15, 16 up. It just I guess it just depends upon how sheltered your 12 or 13 year old is. Well, we, but it's, we have... it's 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 not despite the cover, it's not an inherently sexy book. Um, so there's there's no um there's no content that I would feel uncomfortable with uh with say a 12 year old reading. 
Um, but but there is there is language. It it's it's mainly I I wrote it with an older young adult new adult audience in mind. Um, but if you've got a precocious young reader, I mean, there's I I, I don't think there's anything objectionable in it other than language that mm-hmm. um, that's we worth have, considering. Uh, some of the audience that I know of listen with their kids, and then they read mm-hmm. the book some of the books together. So I just was figuring, yeah. you know. Yeah. There, there was a little bit of a dichotomy between the cover and the way you described it. So I thought we'd ask for clarification. Yeah. yeah. No, it sounds like a lot of fun. I, I think this will be an amazing series to read. Yay. And I'm looking forward to uh, digging in. Um, JR always likes to ask about the your favorite character archetype. Ooh. Do you have one? I like writing really sassy characters. In fact, I almost always have to tone down the sass in my books because when Jacob reads the, the first drafts, he's like, this is this is too exaggerated. Just dial it back. Take a little do you do you respond with, have you met me? <laughs> so I do a lot, actually. And but I often agree with him because whenever <laughs> I'm writing my my uh, my first drafts, I basically just let it rip and what happens happens. And then I, I basically give it to Jacob. And if he thinks something is excessive, I pair it back. Cause I mean, even, even with edits, there's plenty of sass. I mean, you're not going to be sassless <laughs> in this book. And, uh, and so, but, but I definitely love writing, writing sassy, sarcastic characters. They're just so fun. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's self-insertion, but I don't care. You know what? Larry Korea has a combat accountant figure. So, of course he does. So your your, your publishing house trademark is now sarcasm and sass. Is that what you're telling me? It could be, yeah. <laughs> That's actually you know really what? Good idea. It's probably better than mine. Mine would probably be snark in uh, profanity. I'd actually pondered the tagline for this series being swords and sassery as instead of swords. Ooh, I like it. But I actually hashtag for the episode. I actually decided to use it for uh, another series, which I it's it's like a far future series. But there's there's another one that I uh, that I have in mind that um, that I pondered writing. But I might I might use it for this one. It's just it's so good. I kind of don't want to wait, and it takes me forever to write things sometimes. Don't wait. Use it now. Yeah, I'm going to use it now. It's it's decided. Yes, Decision JR made. is very excited. He loves the hashtag. <laughs> he was like, sword and sassery. I can yeah. hear him typing it out now. <laughs> I actually just did, and I do it because I, I was watched the video like on how to make your podcast be reach more audience, because obviously we want people to, to listen. That's why we do this, and we want to introduce them to new books. That's why we do this. So we trying to make it so they can actually find it in the I hashtag. Think is that maybe like the like the boiled down purpose of my life is getting readers to find new books between <laughs> being a bookseller at Barnes and Noble, Dragon Con, and this. But this is where I'll pull up the tagline we haven't used since the Blasters and Blades rebranded. But remember, if you like those books, please be kind and speak your minds on the reviewing platform. Ooh. <laughs> Because, you know, please be kind and rewind. I'm old enough to remember Blockbuster. Come on, people. Oh, yeah. I found my card when I was cleaning. I found my Blockbuster um, wallet card. You know, the one that goes on your keychain? Yeah. fucking antique. I know. And it was so pristine because I never put it on my keychain. (laughs) Somehow it was the bottom of my sock drawer. I don't know why. That's going to be in a museum one day. Save it. Save it for posterity. And there was one. There was one, one Blockbuster left, but it closed down, I'm told. Oh no! No, I think they turned into an Airbnb. Oh, you're oh, okay, right. Well, they did. I remember reading about okay. that. 
as long as it's still here, I'm satisfied. All right. So uh, finally, we'll, we'll try to get back on track before Elvis goes insane. Uh, what can you tell us about the universe? In many series, the world where the story is told is as much a character as the protagonist and the antagonist. So can you give us a little bit more of a hint? Is it just? Oh, yes. Like, well, the, like what, the, what can we expect? Well, the world is actually the first thing I designed. And um, essentially, the entire setting is under what the characters call the dazzling skies. And they call it that because their sky is full of a whole bunch of portals to other worlds, um, such that it looks like stars are twinkling even in the daytime in their setting. And these portals, they're not sure how they got there. The only thing they know is that they will occasionally just dump random junk. And sometimes this junk is just trash. And sometimes this junk is people. And sometimes it's monsters and they never know what it's going to be. And, um, and so it's, it's one of their constant sources of trouble and also source of population um, because they frequently get people from all these different worlds that they then have to introduce to the setting and teach how to survive. Um, but beneath the dazzling skies, I actually have two different settings. Um, the first one, which we don't see a lot of in this particular series, it's referenced because a lot of characters are from there. Um, the first is called The Wondrous Continent, um, which is civilized and developed. And um, th there are monsters there, but they're more docile um, because they've basically this was where when this world first happened, um, which is a it's 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 complicated. But um, when this world first happened, people arrived and monsters were with them and they it basically made them easier to domesticate because the two grew up alongside each other and for this this basically i designed this to be the setting that would allow me to tell pokemon inspired stories because you have a lot of um you you have a lot of instances of people dealing with domesticated monsters, monster pets, um, cooperating with them to do various things in their society, and it's 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 a different. I, I wanted to include it in this particular branch of the series, but it's such a different world from the other one that I ended up deciding to focus on the other one, which is the monstrous continent. And the monstrous continent is unexplored, fully dangerous. There are monsters there and they want to eat everything. And so this is where, um, this is a setting, it hasn't been explored a lot. And this is the setting for characters who who want a bit of adventure, who want to go see the world and and study it and um, and live, live a much more dangerous lifestyle. And so this is where um, Pix and Jazz and all the other characters come in. Um, a lot of the characters in this setting um, there are very few people who are actually native to the monstrous continent. Like, cause like if people want to have kids in this setting, they just go back to the wondrous continent where the kid is more likely to, you know, survive. Um, because it's just, it's, it's, it's basic. The technology level is magical Victorian. Basically they have um, a lot of the, energy in the setting is derived from magical gems and that's a whole other thing um but um so there's there's the basic technology level but then the functions of these various magical gems allow them to do some things that we would associate with modern times and so yeah it's a weirdly complex world and i love it that's okay. Um, so Monster Honk, uh, Monster Honk, Monster Punk Horizon. <laughs> That'll be the 18 plus. 
branch of the series. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's clearly part of a series. I know because it says so in the official title over on the uh-huh. Amazon. Um, there are currently it looks like three books out in the series, but is their story done after that, or is there going to be more? Oh, it's definitely not done. I have I intentionally wrote this series um, to be open ended. Like each each book in the series is essentially a standalone. Like the the, the characters do progress. Um, but you don't need to understand the the details of how they've progressed to understand each individual story. And um, I made it open-ended so that I could write it as long as I um, had an interest in the world slash as long as it sells, hint, hint. Um, but um, I actually have planned a number of different, um, even branches of this series. I, I would like to write um, another series that's set entirely on the wondrous continent. Um, there's one of the... Um, big mysteries of the of the series is how their world even came to be in the first place and why it does some of the weird stuff that it does and um, I do plan for the um, this first series for it's the, the first arc to basically end with them figuring out one of the mysteries and uncovering a bigger one and then it's followed by the, the another series that explores that bigger mystery um, but also in terms of the kinds of stories that are told um the series starts out um, parodying and paying homage to monster monster franchises, but I also wanted to be able to explore other like sources of nerd inspiration. Um, for example, anime, um, other things that I've enjoyed, um, tabletop RPGs, uh, collectible card games, etc. So you'll see a lot of stuff like that pop up. Um, the second book in the series, Isekai Skies, is actually directly inspired by um, the, I guess it's not emerging anymore, but the now dominant um, Isekai genre in anime and in light novels, um, which if, if you're unfamiliar with that, Isekai is basically Japanese for another world. And it's, it's, it's basically portal fantasy, but the main character almost, he pretty much always, and it generally is male, falls into another world usually with um video game conspicuous video game mechanics and then has to you know figure out how to survive and be a hero and junk so the uh, the second book is that um the third book is um funny story about the third book jacob actually liked the premise of the series so much that he wanted to write a book in it and he was between other between his own books at the time and so he was like you know what i'm just gonna i'm just gonna write a a novel in your series and see what happens and i'm like book one's not even done yet but okay and uh, so he just created his own monster and ran with it and then um i went in and and after i had finished books one and two went in and basically heatherified um, certain parts and there were certain parts where he basically write, wrote HP write this because you do it better and um, and so there's a lot of my I own- remember you posting about <laughs> this on there's- Facebook and I was like it has got to be weird living in a house with two writers like this it's weird but it's but fun it, it, you know what they're happy so I don't care oh yeah <laughs> so um, that makes so much sense oh yeah it's fantastic so, and so I so fleshed the only out danger- the other part. yeah the only danger is you publish it with the uh, insert battle scene here, like a certain Bane author had happened to him. Oh my gosh, did that really happen? Yeah, Terry Mixon <laughs> talked about it. I, I think it was just the first run and they ended up fixing it, you know, because they That's caught fantastic. it. I, they published the wrong version, I think, is what happened. Uh, but it yeah. went through a print run. 
that that is amazing. So I imagine if you still had that version, it might actually be worth something on a collector's market. Yeah, I mean, really. I mean, when you consider, like, I've, okay, I've recently gotten back into Pokemon card collecting, like, hardcore, which is, you know, what a perfect time to do it now that I'm writing this. But the amounts that people will pay for flawed cards, like misprinted cards and quirky things like that, is just, it's oh, bizarre. Yeah. Like it's and it's like like whatever makes you happy, go for it. But it's 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 fascinating. The collecting community in general is a fascinating thing. I love it. Um, but yeah, I basically spe speaking of the the third book, which is called Excess. Um, I basically just went in and inserted the scenes that Jacob wanted me to write, and um, and then fixed it for consistency because there were certain there were certain things I was still polishing in books one and two in terms of say how certain weapons worked and things like that, um, that he didn't have access to when he wrote book three, because you know, they, they didn't exist yet. And so I had to polish up those things. Um, but that one, that one will read slightly differently from the other two um, because it's well, the product of two different authors. Um, but yeah, but I do intend to, um, I, I want to continue this series forever. Like I'm going to, I actually, once once the three books are released, I actually want to see what corners um, readers would like me to explore because I want to explore all the corners because it's, it's in my head, there's a pretty expansive universe that could go forever. And I'm, and every other author wants their universes to go forever, of course. Um, but, uh, but I do want to see what readers enjoy most so I can focus on that because there's, there's lots of cool stuff hidden in, in its little nooks and crannies. Okay. So, uh, did you already ask 31 doc? Which one's 31? Uh, the, uh, no, 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 that's yours. Okay. So we all, I, I'm sorry, dear listener, I had to run and take Elvis out back so we didn't have, uh, issues in the house. Uh, so we know that every literary universe has its own internally consistent rules of technology and science and magic. So what sort of tech and magic can we expect from these books? Oh, okay. Well, there's there's two different subsets of magic. And uh, the first one, um, as I mentioned before, is, is gem-based. Basically, um, and, and this is actually, this was something that I came up with when I was first designing the world. I, I basically looked at all the franchises that was inspiring it and remembered that in Monster, in Monster Punk World, in Monster Hunter Worlds, <laughs> um, whenever you are upgrading your weapons, you get decorations, which are basically magical gems that have different... Um, different functions. And then I was thinking back to the titles of various Pokemon games and you have like Pokemon um, Diamond and Pearl and Gold and Silver, etc. And realized that there was a really, between those franchises, there was a really heavy gem and mineral um, motif. And so decided that all the magic in my, all the major magic in my setting was going to be centered around gems. So what happens is, um, gems in this monsters in this setting just naturally grow gems on them internally externally wherever and these gems are imbued with certain abilities that relate to the monster um for example um there's um, there's one monster that um can fly despite not having wings and uh, and the gem that is harvested from it um doesn't allow for flight necessarily, but definitely allows for levitation and things like that. And so basically if the characters in this setting want to use magic, um, they have to get the appropriate gem from the appropriate monster. And they don't necessarily have to kill the monster to get it. Like they can put it to sleep and then just like chip the gem off. Um, but then there's also, um, because of that, 
Um, lapidaries, gem setters, or and gem cutters are a really big thing in this universe because in order to properly harness the magic, they have to cut the gem the right way. And if they don't cut it properly, then the gem's magic can either burn out really fast or otherwise just not work the way it's supposed to. And so each gem has its own optimal cut, and there are several characters who... Um, Though they're monster hunters, they also specialize as lapidaries, and they're hugely valuable in this setting because they're the ones who harness the magic, essentially. Um, but it's it's a it's there's there are magical gems everywhere in this setting. It's it's their main source of power. Um, sometimes they use them for incredibly stupid things, um, as monster hunter players tend to do in general. <laughs> But um, so that's that's definitely an homage to just Monster Hunter craziness. Um, but there, there's also some minor magic in the series where some of the characters who fall from the sky, um, they have their own sort of internal magic. And like if, if, if it's biologically a part of them. They they have their own magic system. There's there that hasn't been used extensively in the series thus far, but it is it is an element. Like the 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 fey kind characters have their own um, like fey magic, fairy magic um, that has its own separate set of rules and and its own separate set of restrictions. So yep, that sounds really fascinating. It sounds like you're gonna have a lot of fun exploring everything with this. But of everything you've done so far, all the tech or magic you've invented, which one would you have for daily use? Ooh, that's a tough one. Partly because... I was asking the tough questions. Yeah. <laughs> Partly because a lot of the tech in this series is just ridiculous. I mean, Jazz carries around a sword that's as big as she is. Which, by the way, is lightened by that one gem I mentioned, because how else would she do it? <laughs> but she's, I mean, she's buff and strong, but she's not that buff. Um, yeah, that's like Conan buff looking at that. Story. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I haven't even thought about this, actually, and I haven't looked at the page. In terms, I would say in terms of general <laughs> technology, I just... I like the crazy weapons. Like, I don't have a practical need for a great sword. But but you would have one. If I carried around one while I was shopping at night, I would have no trouble with people bothering me. Sherry and... Weber would approve of this. Yeah, just to let you know. She and plus, it just answer. looks cool. And it. I don't giant... even have to ask her. Oh yeah, yeah, just giant great sword all the way. I have so no how... practical use for it, but heck, that's yeah, how you would abuse. Because our next question is, how would you abuse it? And the answer is, I would just threaten scary people with it you and show it off everywhere yeah i would yeah that's exactly what i would do i mean I, well i mean defense is a practical use <laughs> defense is a very practical yeah. use so um of the characters you like the aliens slash magical creatures aliens being the people who come in from another world mm -hmm. in this case um did you use anything like how did you go about making them designing them nightmares way too much video games too much i would say too much coffee caffeine, is definitely caffeine deprivation but um when when i was going through i i really while i do have some limits on it these days i generally i i like to work with contrasts and i like to take a sort of everything in the kitchen sink approach so a lot of times when i'm creating characters or monsters i will just um 
throw a bunch of random things together and see what sticks. And though I will say with, uh, with some of the monsters um, in, in book one, especially um, one of the ways in which I paid homage to monster hunter world in particular was that I wanted to have elements of some of the early monsters from that game visible in some of the monsters that the main characters fight. And so the first monster that the characters encounter in the book is called an Ignifex. And it's basically this really fat salamander with a nasty prehensile, not prehensile, but a, a nasty sticky tongue um, that just kind of, it's, its main attack is just to belly flop onto things. And it also will... It also will it, it 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 emits a mucus that it can click a certain plate on its uh, on its mouth to ignite. So you basically have this this fiery killer belly flop coming at you. And that particular monster was a combination of um, in in Monster Hunter World, uh, the first monster you fight is the Great Jagras, which is this big lizard that it it as part of its fighting mechanics, it'll basically go eat another monster mid-battle and, like, swell up its belly and then smash on you. Um, there's another called a Puke Puke that it's it's kind of this weird flying chameleon-looking thing, but it has this really disgusting tongue that it shoots out at you, and so I incorporated that. And then, finally, you... Um, you face a monster called Anjanath, which is literally this fire-breathing T-Rex with, like, butt fins. It's like, it looks like it's designed by a seven-year-old, and it's wonderful. Like, whenever it gets mad, it sneezes out fire, and it grows these massive, in this intimidating butt I fins. remember like, watching my brother fight that one. And, <laughs> and so I just, I took elements from all those three and combined that to make the Ignifex in particular. Um, but as far as other monsters go... Um, some of them are actually also inspired by uh, my young self because back when I was first writing on my monster series, I also liked to draw and I created my own line of collectible monsters. Like I had a whole shoebox full of drawings and I think I got up to 400 monsters before I lost interest and went to high school. Um, but sometimes when I need a new monster idea, I go look through that box and it's like, yeah, that one's weird enough. We'll do it. And, uh, and, and then I also like, there's, I, when I first started writing the series, I thought about leaning into actual ecology and actual life science. And I ended up not doing that quite as much as I had hoped to initially, but a lot of the monsters are, um, inspired by creatures that I've read about just in kids books that are basically like, here's some weird animals, here's some weird facts about stuff. And so I found like that there, there are, um, a lot of monsters that are at the very least loosely inspired by actual animals that just have really weird characteristics. Uh, for example, there's one um, in book two. One of the primary monsters that you meet is a care. It's, it's a creature called a parajka, which is basically this frog with a piranha head. Um, but one, one of its defining uh, features in um in the series is that it's an amphibian that is able to transition between salt water and fresh water there's only one amphibian on this earth that we know of that can actually do that and uh, and i actually forget what it is right now it's it's some sort of frog i forget what what name it i forget its name but um when i designed that creature i basically took inspiration from that little frog and i was like oh it can it can transition between two types of water that's cool we'll do that
And uh, if they know what that is, we're going to get people commenting when we share it, we hope. So if you know what it is, yes, bonus point for you. 10 points to your house or something. I think it's I got know. a hyphen in it somewhere. That's all I remember. <laughs> so if you could live in the game world, the game lit universe you created, would you? Oh, absolutely. Probably the wondrous continent side more so than the monstrous continent side, because I'd be eaten so fast. I mean, just from trying to pet things like that's going to be the way I die. I'm pretty sure I, I'm going to be trying to pet something that I shouldn't be petting. I but. think you and I should be neighbors in this universe. <laughs> but I'd, I'd absolutely live in this world. And it's it's partly because one of one of the rules that I set for this world is that even though this world is dangerous, I don't want it to ever, I don't want the books to ever get truly dark. And so even if the, even if the characters face some, some really great odds, um, there's, it, I guess it's kind of like the, the Star Trek rule of, of uh, characters not having interpersonal problems, I suppose you could say. Um, which I, th I think has actually changed with one of the most recent Star Trek series, but the, the characters, there, there are no quote unquote evil, truly evil characters in this series that aren't literal monsters. Um, and so that's that's one of the things about the world that really appeals to me. Of course, that might change as I write. Um, but right now, it's 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 a very bright series, even when it gets dangerous. Okay. So uh, this interview is winding down. We've been at it a little bit longer than normal because we oh, yeah, we have. a little bit. <laughs> Um, but before we wrap this up, was there anything about Monster Punk Horizon that we didn't ask that you thought we should know? Um, I think we mostly covered it. It's, um, it's Monster Punk Horizon, actually, for those who really, really like print, um, it's actually currently available in paperback. Um, the ebook will release on October 14th, and uh, the next two books will release um, a month, or book two will release on November 18th, and book three will release on December 23rd. And then there's also audiobooks coming for each one as well. So, so the entire trilogy will be ready to go under the Christmas tree. Oh yeah. Yeah, it definitely will. And there will be more coming. I haven't plotted them yet, but I've got ideas like crazy. And, uh, and so, yeah. So is this uh did you self publish this or did you go through a publisher? I, I did self publish. Okay. So when your audiobook launches, cause this will air October 22nd. So the eBooks will already be out. When your audiobook launches, can you go back in, into our group and say, hey, look, that book we talked about, can you do that for us? Oh, yeah, certainly. Yeah. All right. So as we bring this puppy home, can you tell listeners how they can find you if they want to know everything about the wild and crazy world of H.P. Hollow? Oh, certainly. Which well, actually my... sounds like Sleepy Hollow, and I feel like that should be its own universe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, my main website is hollowwriting.com. And that has links to all my books and all relevant information on it. But um, if you're on social media, you can find me at on Instagram at um, at HP Hollow and also at Hollow Writing. Hollow Writing is the main book thing. HP Hollow is pictures of my cat and bugs around my yard. Um, let's see. I'm also on YouTube. Uh, the channel is Hollow Writing. Um, it's easy to remember. Um, you can find me on BookBub as HP Hollow. Um, where else am I? Oh, on Facebook under um, Hollow Writing as well, at Hollow Writing. So I think I've covered everywhere I am. Let me double check my notes. And all of this will be in the show notes. Oh, yeah. And then I also have a newsletter, which you can access through the website. It'll, it, there's a little tab at the top that says free book. If you join my newsletter, you automatically get um, information about when new stuff is coming out and stuff like that. So it's super fun. 
Okay, and you can find us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. You can follow us on Twitter at SF underscore fantasy underscore show, Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. I promise we actually answer letters. Uh, we have a Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast again backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast and you can support the show over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley again buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley where make sure you put in the comment section that is for the podcast uh, you can also support us over on anchor.fm on a more reoccurring basis much like you would on a patreon uh, i promise any dollar over the overhead cost of the show will go to keep doc saska and nick garber duly intoxicated they will drink <laughs> until their liver surrenders never surrender <laughs> all right okay. doc you can bring us home you can stop Thanks. drinking your beer just sober up for just a second sobriety such a crutch no Okay, anyways, thank you for spending your precious time with us for the absentee madly drawing Nick Garber, J.R. Lee. I'm Seska. This was the Masters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time. We'll indulge your love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, all things that go boom. And maybe, maybe instead of just talking about pineapple on pizza, we'll put avocados on pizza. That's a bridge too far, madam. No, I, I love avocados, and that might be a bridge too far for me. Though, if you do the right flavor combination, apparently, maybe. I have a friend who went to Gen Con, and she had a pizza with pineapple and avocados on it, and she said it was the bomb. I'm intrigued, but I don't so know. So I, I saw a picture intrigued. of of the picture uh, was glorious. I saw a picture of people that put pickles on pizza and people that put peeps on pizza. All I'm saying is, just because it can be done, doesn't mean it should be done. Oh, the pineapple and pizza is so good. It is. You are so wrong. And and for the record, it is J.R. Handley, not J.R. Lee, which is what it sounds like because of her glitch. Uh, that person <laughs> might exist, but don't send them hate mail. I promise they might get mad. All right. We'll talk to you next time, people. Have a good one.